Thanks so much for letting us come in today and share with you. Um, I did stop in a couple years ago for a uh, boys and girls, for some reason the AG name for it just totally skipped me. Well, Rangers. <laughs> there you go. I did go through it. Um, yeah, I was here for one of those. And I uh, had a lot of fun, and, but we wanted to come back and give you guys an update. Um, our first term is not over. The reason we're back is because we had baby number two. Her name is Felice Ann, and um, she's doing wonderful. She's a little over two months old at the moment, and we're getting ready to fly back to Romania with her, but we had to get passports and visas and medical clearance and everything for her, so that's why we're back. So since we're here, we want to give all of you an update. Is that okay? Um, God is doing amazing, amazing, amazing things in Romania and in Europe as a whole, as Pastor was talking about. Um, but so often, I, I look at the church as a whole and think we can do more. Um, I, I'm one of the people that, that my wife has said this to me, my dad has said this to me. If you know my dad, he lives this way. Um, my family tends to not look at what's been done but instead of look at what needs to be done. Because if it's already been done, we don't need to think about it anymore. Right? So often we talk about you know things we've done, and God's going, okay, great, you did it. Now do this. Um, it, it's time for the church to, to be forward-minded. I don't mean like we need to change our format and everything else. What I mean is we need to stop looking over our shoulder and start looking forward to what God is going to do, not what he already has done. Do you realize the only time in Scripture that God tells you to look back is to encourage you to go forward? Notice that? The only reason you have testimonies and, and past and history is so that you can take that and use it as strength to do what you're supposed to do today and tomorrow and the next day. But what happens is so often we get caught up in what used to happen or what happened yesterday, we don't do what we're supposed to do today. Okay? I'm not here to yell at you today. It's going to be a great Sunday. It is. I'm excited. God is in this room. The, the title of my message today for all of you taking notes, and that should be all of you. Because when you go to math class and you go to science class and you go to all these different things and you have your kids go off to school, you tell them to make sure they have their homework, their math book, their science book, their pen and pencil and their paper and the teacher yells at you if you don't have a pencil, right? All you kids that are still in school go, amen? So how come we don't do the same thing in church? Are you planning on not learning anything? You laugh. But we should all... Be prepared to learn from God every Sunday. Which means we should come prepared to learn. Which means you bring your Bible. It's not a dust collector. You actually bring it with you. We will use it. Sounds to me like your pastor uses it quite often. And bring something to write down. That way God can use what we're going to talk about today later on in your life. Title of the message. God of the possible. So often we limit God. God has no limits, correct? None. So then why do we? Why do we look at things like we have limits? You see, I've worked very hard in my life to remove the limits that the world puts on me. People look at me and go, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. I really smile and I love it when people say that to me. Because I normally look back and say, I will, I will, I will, I will. Watch me. It's not a rebellion thing. It's a thing where I look at it and go, you know what, I know who I follow, and with all due respect, it's not you. It's not. I love all of you, but we're all following the same person. God. Christ. But so often we get caught up with the other people following Christ, that we start to follow each other instead of following Him. And if Christ said we have no limits... None. Faith the size of a... You can do what to a mountain? You know how little that faith is? But here's the thing. We all smile when we hear that because we've heard it a hundred times. How many mountains have you moved? 
Why? Why? Guys, it's time for the church to move the mountains in our lives. We spend so much time looking at them, worrying about them, stressing about them, conversing about them. Don't waste your time on the mountain. Get past it. Get it out of your way. Move on. You say, well, that's not that easy to do. Yeah, it is. You see, I don't believe for a second that Christ had stress in his life. I think there's one time that it refers to Christ having stress in his life. It's when he was in the garden before he was getting crucified. It's the only time that it ever talks about stress. Only they tried to kill him three or four times in the Gospels. One time was he stressed about it. In fact, there was one time they tried to push him off a cliff, and it says he walked through the crowd. He didn't run. He didn't push anyone. He didn't hit anyone. He just went out of my way. I'm not going to die today. I know who I follow. Today's not my day. You see, if the church lived their life that way, nothing could hold us back. Because God is capable and able to do anything in our lives if we let Him. You say, how does this have to do with missions? It has everything to do with missions. Because Christ's life was about missions. His entire life was about missions. That's all it was. Am I saying other things aren't important? No, they're not. That's not what I'm trying to get across. That came out weird. I caught myself. I'm sure you've never done that though. Um, There's other things that are important. But I believe missions is at the heart of what God wants to do. Do I mean foreign missions? Not necessarily. Because do you realize that Christ could walk to every place he went with his mission field? He changed the world and never went to another country. He walked. You have the ability to walk, correct? You have the ability to move across your street, correct? You have the ability to invite all these people to this Pinewood Derby, correct? Okay, let me say that again. You have the ability to invite all these people to this Pinewood Derby, correct? So that means that you should have about 300 cars dropped off after the deadline. Right? I don't hear any pastors complaining about that. You should. He just told you visitors can drop off cars anytime they want. So what that means is you should have so many people dropping off cars that they're not even in the system. They're just going to put a piece of tape underneath it. That's right. That's what they used to do back when I was younger. They didn't put anything in a computer. You see, but you have to understand something, guys. So often when I'm around people in the church, pastors even... Things like this, they go, man, I'm so happy we're involved in missions. I said, well, really, what do you do in missions? They said, well, we support you. Thank you for supporting me. That is giving. That is not missions. That is giving. That is not missions. I thank your church for supporting missionaries. But if you want to be involved in missions, read your sign. And every one of you, no matter how old or young, or your level of education, has the ability to reach one. I promise you. I promise you. But if God has no limits, why are we not reaching all of them? Because of me and you. We limit it. Point number one today is whether you say you will or you won't, you're right. Whether you say you will or you won't, you're right. Point number one. Anyone know who said that today? Anyone? 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 I know I did. Anyone else know who really said that? That was popular, way more popular than me? Walt Disney. Walt Disney said that. Walt Disney was a man who was not even Christian. 
I'm sure he believed there was a God, but I mean, he wasn't, he didn't, wasn't a faith-based man. He wasn't any of those things. And when he coined this phrase, he was in an interview. He talked about his life. Did you know that Walt Disney was virtually homeless at one point? Do you know that? Walt Disney was virtually homeless. He invented a little cartoon horse. Nobody even really knows this. And him and a partner were going to make this cartoon. That's all it was, just, just a cartoon is all he wanted to do. And his partner drew up the contract in such a way that he could leave him anytime he wanted and take it. And Walt Disney never knew this. Well, as things started to get popular, his partner left and took everything he had. He was living in a downstairs apartment with only one little square window that looked out at street level. I think in New York, but I could be wrong on the city. Totally depressed, completely, everything was gone. He, he had gone from building this nice-sized company, not huge, but nice-sized company and doing well, to losing everything. It was one room, it had a cot in it with a desk, and he had a little pet. So he sat down at his desk and he was staring out his, you know, one foot by six inch window, completely destroyed. And he began to doodle his pet, Mickey. A doodle. When he got done drawing him, he started putting stories with it and things like that. And through the course of this interview, as he talks about how he rebuilt what Disney is today, he looked at the interviewer and said, I want to tell everyone that hears my story, whether you say you will or you won't, you're right. Because I never told myself I couldn't. You see, guys... If a person with no godly influence in their lives, with no spiritual supernatural power in their lives, can become that successful and that capable of doing anything in his life because he looks around the world and says, there's no way I can't, imagine what the church will do with the power of the Holy Spirit. Imagine. Imagine just for a second the amount of power that was in that room when Pentecost fell. Imagine. You see, guys, as your pastor said, I've grown up in the church. And my heart breaks. Because I remember those prayer meetings. When there was not one family that came on Sunday morning that wasn't there. I remember seeing God move. I remember seeing people healed and people who are blind seeing again, not on TV, not a hundred miles away, not driving to some revival, but in my church. Where did it go? I know where it went. It's still here. But we're not. We're too busy doing other things. You see, if you believe that God can do anything in your life, then test it. You see, Proverbs 29.18 says, Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained or perish. What's your vision in your town? I don't want you to, to tell me your church's vision. I don't want you to get up afterwards and go ask your pastor what his vision is. Where's your vision? What is your individual vision for your community, for your family, for your workplace? What vision has God given you to reach them? You see, there shouldn't be just one Vision totally for this entire church. I think there should be for the church as a whole on what direction you're going to head. 
But I guarantee you, your pastor would jump for joy if every person in this church said, you know what, I have a vision to reach this community of people. I have a vision to reach this area of our city. I have a vision to do this ministry in our church. I have a heart to reach these people and do this and do that. You see, the church is not about a building. It's not about a pastor. It's not about a man. It's about God and us being willing to follow Him. But the modern church has turned into, guys, and I'm just giving you some history, has turned into a bunch of people that pray that they get here early enough that they get the nice, comfortable, padded pew. Hope that worship doesn't go too long because I don't want to stand up. And then pray that the sermon ends on time so my roast doesn't burn. But at the time in history when the church was growing the most, we didn't have chairs, we didn't have buildings, and pastors were people who traveled. Because the church was reaching their community. That's what missions is. That's what it is. And we need to understand that we have no limits in what God is capable of doing in our lives and our communities. You see, I I, I hang out with a lot of missionaries now and a lot of pastors and things like that. And they kept telling me, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. You won't learn the language. It'll take you forever to find a house. Your container will take oh, will take months to get here. It'll be you probably won't start any ministry or do anything for your first term. Just so you know, all these things are pre-set. Just so you know, this won't happen. I already told you how I am, right? Really? Sounds to me like you just dared me to do all those things. So we got permission to fly to Romania a week for one full week. I did about a month before we moved. All the missionaries on the field said, you're dumb, don't do it, it's a waste of time. I said, I'm going to find a house. You're not going to do it, you won't figure it out. I said, I don't care, I'm going. Pick me up at the airport, I'll be there in two weeks. You're still coming? Yes, I am. Because I don't follow you. I respect you. But God told me I was going to find a house. Three days later, I had a house that was bigger than theirs at half the price. (laughs) Am I bragging about that? No. What I'm telling you is, if you trust God, He'll take care of you. We got to Romania. We needed a car. All of our ministry was outside of the city or on the other side of town. Public transportation there is not that good in Eastern Europe. You'll find that out if you're going on this mission trip. It's not Northern Europe. But it needs God. Bad. We needed a car. Bad, guys. I'm not kidding you. We got a phone call two weeks after landing in Romania. And it said, hey, there's a missionary that left. due to some family reasons. His, con- his car is in the country next door. Just go get it. Two weeks. I said, ministry is something you probably won't be able to do for a long time. All right. We took our time, started taking language classes, started learning the language. They told me I wouldn't learn and all these other things. And and we started getting involved. And after about a year and a half of building relationships and getting to know people, we, we have been invited to work with the National Church. We're the first missionaries in AG Romanian history that has ever been offered full credentials in the National Church. Full credentials. I said, guys, I can't give up my AG ones. They're like, we're the same. The only thing that's different is, sorry ladies, this is how the culture goes. Women can't preach on Sunday morning and we do foot washing. Other than that, our bylaws are exactly the same. I said, all right. I see some women that aren't too happy about those rules. But my job there is to reach them for Christ, not change their culture. So guess what? When I get back home to Romania, notice how I said that. When I get back home, I'm going to be working on getting credentialed in the national church for the first time in missions in Romania in over 100 years. We sat down with the pastor and he goes, Brent... 
We've loved your ministry here at the church. We've loved having you preach for us when you do. Would you be willing to do us a favor? I said, yeah, I can, I can, we can talk. He goes, well, we just have some small things we'd like you to do. I said, okay, like what? He goes, start an international church, a master's commission, three cafes downtown. That's great. Anything else? Yeah, just one or two other little things. We'd like you to also start a trade school that would teach um, kids coming off the streets how to get a job. And we'd also like you to start a tech school that could teach pastors who don't have any technology in the northern part of Romania how to use computers. Think you can handle that? I thought you said these were little things. But, you know, I probably shouldn't do it because I'll never be involved in ministry in my first term. You see, guys, if we trust God and we're willing to do what He calls us to do, He'll take care of the rest. So often, we look at our limitations, our economy, our government, our situation, and forget that God is above and beyond all of those things. He is not limited, nor does He care about those types of things on the level of limiting you. He doesn't. He cares about you and he cares about them, but he doesn't look at those and go, you know, I probably shouldn't ask this church to do this. The economy is not very good right now. I probably shouldn't have you start another ministry with, with reaching children because you probably don't have the money to run it. Do you hear God saying that? What's he say? Move and then I'll bless you. But the church says, bless me and then I'll move. Guys, it's opposite. If you want the blessings of God, move. If you want God to bless your church at a level that it's never been blessed before and you want an outpouring of His Spirit that you've never seen before in this generation, then move. Because God will put His resources and His time and His energy and His all into what is doing His will. Not ours. Point number two, knowing who you trust in. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord your God and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord your God and lean not on your understanding. I guarantee you there are many people in this room that are higher educated than I am, and that verse is for you as well. It's not an insult to anyone's intelligence. But I know a God who's smarter than all of us. And it may not make sense. But if we trust God, He'll take care of it, guys. You're, you're going to see me today after church. I'm, I'm going to tell you this because I always have somebody come up to me and say something. I've had people come to me and say, missionaries are rich and you guys get all this money. and I'd like to find one of those someday. And if I become one, great. But that's not my goal. But I'm going to explain something to you. When I leave the parking lot today... This is going to hurt my offering, but I'm going to explain. I'm going to be driving a Mercedes. It's not mine. I don't own it. We found out that we were pregnant with our second baby. We wanted one, so it wasn't that big of a surprise. And um, we found out, and, and we had to come home to have the baby because the medical system there isn't real good. Um, and uh, so we came home, and we decided, you know, we really love our parents, but we don't want to live with them. And all the parents said, Amen. And, um, and, uh, and, 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 and we just really didn't want to. And we said, you know, God, we really feel like, you know, we're married and we, you know, can support ourselves and we should have a home. So God, please help us. But we can't be in a long-term lease because we're only going to be there for four months. Would you please provide a place for us to stay? And guys, honest to God, I learned how to pray from my grandfather. My grandfather was one of the biggest prayer warriors I have ever been around in my life. And you know how my grandpa prayed? He didn't get on his knees. He, did, he didn't do all this, this other stuff. He, he would walk out into a pasture. Not kidding you. Cow poop everywhere. And he'd walk out there with his rubber boots on and he'd say, God, I need help. I can't do whatever it was without you. So I'm going to trust that you'll take care of it. I love you and I'll do everything I can to bless you, but you've got to take care of this for me, okay? Thanks. And he turned around and walked back into his house. 
And there was a guy one day, and he looked at him and said, Ralph, have you prayed? He said, yeah, I did. He goes, well, aren't you nervous? He said, no, I prayed. He said, well, do you need to pray again? He said, no, I already prayed. He said, well, well why aren't you nervous? He goes, because I prayed. He goes, well, what did you do? Did you like, get on your knees? He said, no, I walked out in the pasture and I said, God, I need help. And I turned around and I walked back in the house. That's it. You see, my grandfather had some of the largest miracles in his life that I have ever heard in my life. I'm not kidding you guys. There were storms that wiped out the entire southern region of South Dakota and missed his farm only. Because he'd walk out into a pasture and say, God, I can't lose my crops and if you bless me, I'll bless you. But if you don't, God, I'll give you what I can. But the more you bless me, the more I give you. I'm handing it to you and walk back in his house. That's it. My father, you can ask him this the next time you see him. There was a time coming when a storm was coming at them when they were in the middle of harvest, sitting in a combine. And you can see two to three hundred miles in South Dakota. I'm not kidding you. They're watching the storm come at them. They call dad, grandpa, for me, and say, we've got to get the machinery out of the field. It's going to destroy everything. The crops are going to be gone. We can't do this. I said, stay in the field. I already prayed. What do you want us to do? Dad said, keep working. I already prayed. God told me he's going to take care of it. Drive. You do your job. I did mine. Notice he didn't say, I'll do mine. He said, I did mine. It's already done. You drive the combine. So his three boys kept driving. Watching a black cloud fly straight at him. Kept going. Called my dad again. My grandpa. Dad, we've got to get out of the field. It's going to get ruined. I said I already prayed. Stop worrying. Drive. They get to the point that they're watching the neighbor's field get ruined. Row by row by row. Across the street. Look out the window if you can and look at that farm. The storm is that close. They call my grandpa again and go, Dad, we've got to cover the machinery. We're going to get it destroyed. He said, no it won't. I prayed and my God's in control. He didn't pray again. He said, I already prayed. It got to the street and crossed half the street and split. With my father and my uncle sitting on the tractors, they watched a wall of hail miss every square inch of their farm. Who do you believe in? Who do you trust in? Be careful how you answer because if you tell me you trust in God, then there's absolutely nothing you cannot do. Nothing. Because the God I believe in raised people from the dead. The God I believe in healed the sick, touched the lame, went to where the church wouldn't go. Did you catch that last part? The God I believe in went where the church would not go. And guys, the portion of scripture that we tend to look over is that the church is what killed Christ, not the sinner. The church. Who do you believe in? I believe in a God that can reach you out of the pit no matter how deep you are. I believe in a God who can take the town drunk and turn him into the world's greatest pastor. I believe in a God who can take a prostitute and turn her into a missionary. I believe in a God who can look across every one of your situations in your life, be it financial or physical or otherwise, and snap his fingers and make them go away. Who do you believe in? Who do you believe in? 
Because church, if we truly believe that God has that much power, there is nothing we cannot do. Nothing. You see, I like to win. Anyone here like to win? That's why I'm a Packers fan and not a Vikings fan. I like to win. I played football in high school. I stopped growing in seventh grade. Was supposed to be mentally retarded and a midget. Was supposed to die. Whole thing. It's the tallest kid in my class until the day I graduated, starting in seventh grade. I've grown an inch since I was 12. One inch since I was 12 years old. But I'm a retarded midget, so. <laughs> Maybe it was more, I don't know. Um, but I've grown one inch. I played football for Wapaka High School. Anyone ever heard of that school? You know why you've heard of it? We don't lose. I'm not kidding you. That's how the speech starts at Wapaka High School practice number one. The varsity coach walks into the locker room as you're sitting there with your pads on and starts his speech with, We don't lose. I don't care what it takes. I don't care how much work you have to put in. I don't care how many weights you have to lift or how many laps you have to run. We will not lose this year. Not one game. We won't lose. You see, from the age of 13, for eight weeks a year, I was taught you don't lose. We were ethical. We didn't cheat. But we didn't lose. Guys, I am standing before the church today and telling you, we don't lose. We will not lose this town. We will not lose our country. I will not lose my children. And I'm telling you men in this church, if you stand up to Satan and everything he goes against, if you stand up against evil in your family and in your church, men, not women, do you hear me? If the men in this church will start to stand up and say, I will not lose my town, my children, my wife, and my church because my God never loses, you will never lose. But men, there's a travesty going through our country. And that is that we do not exist even when we're home. And we put the responsibility on our wives. This actually is in my notes. Because it's time for the church to win. And the only way that happens is if the men rise up and be the men of God we're supposed to be. Don't lose. Because whether you say you can or you can't, you're right. And I'm telling you, in Romania, God's going to win. There's two men out on that table in pictures. Their names are Cosmine and Florine. Cosmine and Florine are two men who have graduated from Teen Challenge. Both of them have police records. Both of them will never get a job again as far as the Romanian government is concerned. Both of them are totally blacklisted in everything they do. Both of them have full-time jobs. Because they cleaned up their lives and they said we will not lose. Both of them are members of the church serving in some capacity. Both of them at one point weighed 116 pounds because of what heroin, drugs, and cocaine had done in their bodies. Both of them can now climb a 50-foot rope using only their hands. Because God has given them everything back that Satan took. 
God has the power to restore everything in your life if you are willing to sacrifice a little. I'm going to pray for you. I'm not just going to pray for you that, that, that something small will happen. I'm going to pray and I want you to open your mouths, guys, because after this service is done and I go to lunch with your pastor, who him and I have been great friends for a while now, and all of that, I leave your town. I'm gone. These aren't my neighbors, my workmates, my, my sports teams. They're not mine. They're yours. And I think it's sad that when a missionary or a pastor prays for the town, the only voice you hear is the one on stage. I don't know your families. You do. So I'm going to lead you in prayer, but I do not want to be the only voice I hear. And as this song plays behind me, you're going to sing it when we're done. But the final portion of this song talks about what I talked about today. And if you believe it, I want you to sing it with everything you have. And I don't care about the key. I don't care about the notes. I don't care about anything. I want you to scream it as loud as you can. Because <laughs> my God can. Lord, I pray for this town. schools and the teachers and the students Lord God I pray for every business that is in this community within the boundaries of this area Lord God and I believe that they will not only reach this town but surrounding communities and I pray God that the spirit that is in this church today your spirit, your love your guidance will do everything it can to break outside of these walls I pray, God, that church will not be something that happens once a week, but church will be us moving forward. I pray against sickness. I pray that all sickness and abnormalities in our lives and in our bodies would be taken away at this moment in Jesus' name. I pray for financial peace in every family in this town. I pray, God, that you would spread your gospel with the people sitting in this room today. And I pray, Lord God, that starting today, we will not ever lose again. Because this team does not lose. In Jesus' name, amen. Help us to see us. Help us to see you for who you are. We really see you as the great I am. That you are our provision in every time of need. You are the vision for changing the world. You are our answer when we don't know what to do. You are the miracle worker in times when we are in a situation where only a miracle will do. And Lord, you are the one who comes into our life and shows us that there is more than empty religion. There is more than going to church. That Lord, if we will walk with you, if we will really honestly give our hearts to you, and walk with you, you will take us on a life of risk and adventure. That Lord will show to us and to our families that you are really real. And Lord, that a generation that's being raised in our church will not walk away, and the reason they won't walk away, if we will do that, is because they will actually have seen you do the impossible. And God, instead of them being bored to tears, with empty Christianity and getting off in the world for the first time when they're, when they're 18 or 19 and saying that this is more fun, that God, they will see that living for you is miraculous and empowering. And that Lord, it all, because, it all be because 
we recognize that there are no limitations with you. So Lord, we want to get we want to we want to get off our off our backsides and do something for you. So God, we just give ourselves to you today and we say, Lord, whatever you want, that's what we want to do. And so we give ourselves to you, surrender ourselves to you. Let us break away the junk from our lives. All those things that are that that the world rises up that we think are so important that really mean nothing. They're just they're just second best. They might be okay, but they're just second best. There's nothing in this world more fulfilling, more gratifying, more empowering than really walking with you in a risky life, a risky adventure every day. Because then we see you. We see you reveal yourself. And that makes all the difference. So God, even in our hearts and our spirits right now, show us those things that are that are robbing us of our walk with you. And Lord, especially for us, especially for those of us who are, are getting to be middle-aged, we're a little older, and we somehow take pride in saying, well, this is just who I am. This is just what I do. And somehow there's this, this skewed view of what it means to be manly or to be mature. I'm not sure what it is, God, but it just says, um, no one's going to change me. God, help us to see that that's just from, from the devil. And that you have something greater tomorrow for us than you had yesterday. So God, we give ourselves to you without, without restriction. So that, Lord, you would work through us, that we'd see the impossible. So we give ourselves to you. Thank you, God, for being challenged today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat for a second. I want to share something with you. First of all, I want to say this. You guys got to understand that when a speaker comes in like Brent, we don't talk in advance about what God's doing in the church. Matter of fact, he's a busy guy. He came rolling in this morning at 8.30. I haven't seen Brent for, like, so the last time I saw him, we had lunch at Famous Dave's in Appleton a couple years ago. And uh, so haven't, other than talking to him on the phone to arrange a service, I haven't even talked to him. He'd been living in Romania. If you've been around the church at all, you know that he just basically said all the high points that I've been saying for, for weeks and months and years in here. Last Sunday night when we had our prayer gathering, I felt compelled the Lord to come up here and had all the men stand up. And I pointed out the fact that over half the people in here were the men of our churches. That when, when one person chose to stay home, it was the wife, if they had little kids or whatever, they chose to stay home. But our men were here. And that we stood and we, we celebrated the fact that the men were the one who men were the ones who were leading the charge in our prayer group. God's trying to get a point across to us. If we'll just do it His way, He'll do the impossible. So many of the things that Brent talked about, my wife and I, she's whispering, she's like, holy cow, he's been listening to your sermons. <laughs> he hasn't been. You need to understand it's the voice of the Lord to you. There's a point that I want to make, and I don't intend to preach a message, but I really feel compelled to say this. And I, I don't know if I said this a week or so ago. Did I share what Brett said on the way to church? Okay, I don't want to embarrass Brett, but I want to say something that Brett, my youngest son, said. Brett had been at a, at a meeting in Wapaka that actually your dad ran called the PK Retreat. This was two weeks ago. And in that, in that thing, was it's a thing for all the pastor's kids from around the district to come together, and they have, it's less than 24 hours. They come at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, they're done by 10 o'clock in the morning. They basically just stay up all night. And did I tell you this story? Okay. And the next day, we were driving the, we were driving the church. And I don't mean any disrespect in what I'm going to say to anybody else, but this is just what Brett said. We were driving to church, and he goes, Dad, it was just, I said, you know, we were talking. He'd been up all night, you know, we just got to go to church the next day now. And, and I said, you know, um, did you have a good time? He goes, it was great. You know, it was wonderful, talked about all the stuff they did. And, and uh, he goes, there's just something different about being around that group of kids. And I said, oh, Brett, they're no different. You know, they're just kids just like you. He goes, no, there's something different. And he goes, they're different because, and my heart sank. And Suzanne, we were sitting in the front seat, and he's in a bed. Both our hearts sank. I knew what he was going to say. At least I thought I knew what he was going to say. I thought he was going to say, we're different because we've seen all the garbage. We're PKs. We're pastor's kids. We've seen all the trash in church. 
And then my heart sank because I thought, here my 16-year-old boy is going to say, we saw the junk. And he says, no, they're different because they've seen all the miracles. He said, they're different because they believe God for something because they've seen all the miracles. And for the last two weeks, that's just been resonating in my heart of, of, of that saying, I've seen all the miracles. Well, here's the reality. He's seen all the miracles because he's, he's lived in a house that always took risks for God. Did dumb things according to the world. You don't plant churches, start with nothing, build them up until you finally get a good salary and you finally build buildings and you finally have a great church and say, oh, by the way, um, God wants us to resign, go start another place. Then take another risk and another risk and take on the, you know, come into port for you. There were bets all over the place that no pastor could survive. Not because of port for you, but because no, no one follows a 30-year pastor. You're dead. 100%, 100% failure rating within 12 months. That's the statistic around, around the world. Almost 100% failure rating. And took a risk, as God said, to do it. And look what God is doing. Look what God is doing. I'm not saying that for me. I'm saying that's just a normal Christian experience. That all of us are supposed to live lives of risk. Try to find anybody in the scriptures who just lived a boring life. You know why our kids, that's why one thing God wants you to say, you know why our kids are growing up and not serving God? Because they're bored to tears. Because they see our metered lives that, that just say, um, Jesus, I had him on Sunday morning. But all week long, I just make my decisions based on the same exact uh, uh, value system of the world. And they grow up and they say there is absolutely nothing different between how my parents live and the people down the street. And they're right. And they grow up and they say, then they, they grow up and they say, there's nothing to this. It's not real. It's not that, they, it's, not that it's not real. It's because we, because we shut our ears to what God is challenging us to do. Pastor Paul and I sat down this Thursday. He literally said word for word things that I, I'm going, I can't believe what he's saying. We sat down, we're working on our core values, it's a team of us. And just so you know, LDR team, we threw everything out the window, which we knew we were going to. We've got to have another meeting, come back together. Because we completely reworked it. And I, and I think we're on the right track. And the one, thing, one of the things we put in there that God wants this church to be known as is a church that understands it's risky to follow God. It's all about taking risks. And God's got incredible things in store for us as a church. Not because we got a good plan. Because He's a great God and He loves lost people. And He wants to use us to change the world. I was struck this morning as I'm sitting here, I'm saying, you know what? A lot of people chose to go to the lake today. Or whatever. I'm like, okay, God. Gets me mad. But I thought, God took 12 and he changed the world. Jesus said, give me the right 12 and I'll change the world. Last Sunday night, sitting with 50 plus people praying, we had a whole lot more than 12 who were saying, I'm willing to do the right thing. And so church, God has incredible things. But the reason I'm making up, I usually don't re-preach a message after emissions, but it's, I'm just so impressed by the fact that God had you, had you speak to us the things that have been resonating in our church for a long time. And I want you to understand, God's trying to speak to us as a church. Do you believe that? I really do. So we take risks for God, whatever that might be. Let me invite our, our um, service team to come this morning, please. We're going to receive an offering. 100% of this offering, you know, if you're new to us, you understand the way our, our missions commitments work as far as our giving. And I appreciate the way you said that. It's not missions. It's giving. It's, it's about generosity. Our missions is going across the street. But we participate in what's going on around the world through our giving. And so what we do is when we have our missionaries in, we uh, receive an offering for them. 100% of this goes to the missionary um, work in Romania. And um, we also do monthly support. And so, here, want to hear some great news? For a long time, this is just structural stuff. For a long time, the way the church historically here worked, and I'm not criticizing the past, I'm just saying we, we, we changed it, was that the church just took money out of its general fund and gave it to, work, to, gave it to missionaries. And so when I came on the scene, I said, well, I don't think that's what God's leading us to do, so we started doing faith promises. And so we've done faith promises for three years. The first year, it went over like a lead balloon. Second year, a little better. Third year, a little better. We're coming on the fourth year this May. 
Jeff Scopp, our treasurer, just gave me, uh, when I walked in this morning, he told me it happened, but he, he gave me uh, the sheet on my desk um, right now from this month that our faith promises and our, and our, our missions giving has now supported our monthly giving to our missionaries, where before it wasn't supported through faith promises. Now, here's, the, here's why it's so important. Scripture says where your money is, your heart will be. So if you just take money out of a general fund, your heart's not really there because you don't even know your money went there. But when you write out a check every month that says missions, your heart, your money goes there, so your heart goes there, so you pray for missions and you give more. Here's the reality. We gave just shy of 20% of our general fund last year to missions because we started Faith Promises. The goal in the past was give 10%. We gave just shy of 20% of our, jet, of our total budget last year to world missions, or to missions as a whole. Because people are writing checks out every month that say, I'm going I'm to write a check out every month, it's going to go to missions, and that then my heart's tied there, so I'll pray for it more. So just about 20%. My goal is to see that grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. So we support missions monthly, and then when they come in, we take an offering, and all this goes to the work of God in that ministry field. So Heavenly Father, thank you that today you are speaking to us. And I pray, God, that for the Libes, as they return to Romania in just a few days, that, God, you would bless them and you would keep doing the impossible through them. All the things that they're said they can't do, God, keep on shocking people as they do them and use them to see the gospel explode in their field of service. Lord, bless their family and care for them. As they take this brand new precious baby to that, to that uh, a re- really poor place, God, provide, protect, give them all they would ever need as they raise a family for you in that, in that place. God, so now we want to give generously to your work. Lord, knowing that as out of our generosity, you bless. So, Lord, thank you so much that we have the chance to participate in what you're doing there as we give here. We trust you, Lord, to bless and honor this gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Hey, have a wonderful day in Jesus. And you know what? Be willing to take whatever risks he leads you to. Amen? Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Time to be together. Go with God.